Holy cow, these guys are maniacal. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mets Maniacs. They're maniacal. We're going to talk a lot today about the offseason that was. Everything that's happened since the Braves won the World Series back in October, November to two weeks before the regular season starts. First, I guess we should address the fact that we have yet to make a podcast since pretty much the end of the Mets season. I think we did give a wrap-up podcast, but haven't really produced much since. Uh... I guess the reasoning behind that is Ty and I both got new jobs in real life, and uh, those have definitely taken up some a large part of our time. But uh, we are excited to get back to uh, kind of recording podcasts and stuff. It's just going to be me today. Ty uh, is getting bogged down by work. We were just in Costa Rica together. There's a big group of us, about 11 of us, and uh, Ty has some work to catch up on. So it's just going to be me kind of recapping the off season and kind of giving a little bit of a look ahead of what's to come. So pre-lockout, let's start there, where the Mets made some of the biggest, splashiest signings. And some of them happened, and they happened relatively quickly. I think it started with Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar pretty quickly on a, I think it was a Thursday night, uh, signing both of those, which which felt like good depth pieces. I, I think initially I thought Eduardo Escobar was kind of a, a better Jonathan VR uh, in pretty much every sense of the word. Uh, I think we can all agree Jonathan VR probably got more run than he was expected to last year. Played played a lot, started a lot, and gave the Mets pretty good innings, pretty good at-bats. Uh, and I think the Mets kind of figured Eduardo Escobar to be an upgrade over that. Uh, a guy who's a switch hitter, could play third, could play second, uh, and has had some really good seasons in the past with the Diamondbacks. So I really like that signing. And then, of course, Mark Canna, a big on-base percentage guy with the athletics, a real, a real nice table setter. Uh, decent at defense, nothing that's going to blow you away defensively. And he felt like a little bit of a Kevin Pillar upgrade, especially at the time. And then that Friday night, I think we make the big signing of Starling Marte. That was a signing that kind of came out of the blue, which was, I think a lot of this postseason or this offseason, you could say, was sort of like that. The Mets signings weren't leaked, uh, except probably the Scherzer one. But the Mets signings weren't really leaked. They weren't really linked to anybody until they had signed them, uh, which is way different than, than other years uh, where with the Wilpons, it felt like the Mets were haggling with a free agent for six or seven days before they were signed. This at this offseason, it was Cohen uh, kind of making the decision to, uh, to grab somebody. And then the news being broke that they were already signed. So Sterling Marte, which is obviously a huge defensive upgrade in center field, is a gold glove winner. Uh, a very fast guy, steal bases, 30, 35 stolen bases pretty much every year. Uh, not a huge power hitter, but definitely a defensive upgrade over Brandon Nemo. And when you think about it, you had Mark Hanna, you still retain Brandon Nemo. You had Sterling Marte to a top of a lineup that has struggled to drive runners in. It's almost inevitable that they will this year because there's just going to be guys on base all the time. You can't we hope at least that they start to hit with runners in scoring position. But those were the three offensive signings pre-lockout. And then obviously the massive signing of Max Scherzer, which was kind of the game changer, I think, in a lot of people's eyes of, okay, Steve Cohen has finally come to town. I mean, you could look back at the 2019-2020 offseason where they trade for Francisco Lindor and signed him to a $340 million contract. 
and be like, okay, this is very unwillpon-esque. But then you look at the Scherzer contract, which is I think is around three years, 140 with opt-outs after year two. And it's like, okay, this guy is throwing money around and he's the billionaire owner the Mets have kind of longed for for years. And he finally puts the Mets in kind of one of those high payroll situations, spending like a big market team. Very exciting. And the fact that it at least was reported that Scherzer didn't want to come to New York and it was almost like Steve Cohen threw enough money at him to kind of make those dreams come true. But I think it's an unbelievable signing, of course. I think the tail end of last year with the Dodgers, he struggled, of course. But I think that was just kind of due to inconsistent usage. Uh, I think there's no real reason. I, I think if you take those that two-month sample size and say he's got a dead arm and he's not the same Max Scherzer, and ignore the first, I don't know, 12 or 15 starts he made with the Dodgers where he had an under-2 ERA. I think that's crazy. Uh, I still think he's got a lot of gas in the tank. Uh, and this guy's a future Hall of Famer. And really, realistically, over the last seven or eight years, he's had two bad months. I think the Mets are kind of fine in that situation. So those were the four big signings pre-lockout. Of course, the lockout happens on, I think it was December 1st. And the baseball world's kind of really slows down for almost three months. Uh, negotiations don't really pick up until the beginning of March, which is ridiculous to me. I don't know. That's not something that I'm well-versed enough in to kind of articulate properly as to why those negotiations went on for or were so silent for so long. But during the uh, kind of lockout, the Mets, I guess before the lockout, the Mets get Billy Epler, and then during the lockout, they hire their manager, Buck Walter, which... I think is a really solid addition, especially because this Mets team right now is currently constructed for a win-now World Series phase. Uh, you add Max Scherzer for two two or three years, depending on the opt-out. You add Escobar for two years, Canna for two years. DeGrom's got an opt-out opt out after this year. Uh, a bunch of players hit arbitration. You have Nimmo, who's going to be a free agent soon. Pete Alonso's going to hit arbitration. I think he's two or three years left. McNeil's going to hit arbitration soon. So this is kind of a team whose window is kind of one now. And if you really think about it, McCann in three years is a free agent. The Mets have the pieces in three years to kind of retool and reset. You have Brett Beatty, he'll be ready in three years. Ronnie Marusio will be ready in three years. Francisco Alvarez will be ready in three years. So those are kind of pieces that can replace these older free agent pieces. But right now it's a win-now team. And I think that's why Buck Scholter was the best manager for the job because you don't want somebody like Luis Rojas again where they come into the Mets front office become the Mets manager and take a season to figure it out. Because at that point, you have DeGrom opting out. You have Scherzer, who has one year left. And it's like, I, I wanted somebody with some experience under their belt. I think that was a really good signing. Uh, and then, obviously, knowing Steve Cohen, I think he's made a lot of hires to kind of put that analytics in the forefront of the Mets strategy and front office. And I think a lot of people's worries were that Buck Showalter is such an old-fashioned coach that he's just going to go by his gut. And especially in an analytics-driven game at this point, it might not be the best fit. But I, I kind of disagree. I think Steve Cohen is not going to let that happen. I think there will be times where Buck Showalter goes with his gut, and it will be beneficial at points. It will probably harm us at points, but it comes with the territory. And I'd rather a manager who has all this experience, regardless of his playoff success in the past, this Mets team is really built well, I think, right now, especially with a uh, veteran manager. And then the lockout ends, of course. Uh, after two fake weeks of canceling games, the lockout ends, and the season starts two weeks later than, than originally uh, 
originally scheduled, but it's going to happen 162 games nonetheless. I think some of the biggest uh, changes to the CBA that's kind of introduced is obviously the DH for the National League, which I believe behooves the Mets. Uh, you have three bats who kind of are a little bit of defensive liabilities, especially Robinson Cano at this point, uh, but can but are definitely stronger. They're stronger offensively than defensively, and that's Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, and Robinson Cano. And I know a lot of people expected one of Cano, or one of, I'm sorry, not Cano, Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, or J.D. Davis to be traded in the offseason. It is now March 23rd. The season's about two weeks away. It does not look like any of those players are going to get traded. But those players are good utility for the bench, especially with uh, one of them being left, two of them being lefty, and one of them being righty. I think it'll be... Pretty uh, pretty solid DH bench options, and hopefully they can kind of get back on track after a really really tough twenty twenty one. Anyway, we come back from the lockout uh, after making a bunch of front office managerial moves. Uh, we get the National League DH, the ghost runner on second base, and extra innings is a carryover rule from twenty twenty, uh, which is a whatever rule. I think it's a rule that clearly signifies that the that baseball is trying to make their games quicker, uh, and this rule's proven to help. I don't hate the rule because realistically, if you're a capable baseball team, you should be able to drive in at least one runner in uh, from second with no outs, uh, and it doesn't. It's it's fine, I guess. I, I don't know. Like I guess it, for the integrity of baseball, it ruins it, but for speeding up the game, which is the overall purpose, I guess it helps. That's another big rule that gets added. Uh, We'll get to the COVID uh, New York in a, in a bit, but that's a uh, that's a Mets Yankees rule only, which is ridiculous. But we'll get to that in a little bit. More offseason acquisitions happen post lockout. We add Adam Adovino on a one year deal. We add Jason Shreve to a minor league deal. We trade for Chris Bassett, which I think is a big move. Uh, I know a lot of Mets fans might be a little bit of a prospect hugging, especially when it comes to pitching, with the only two real pitching prospects we had at the time being JT Jin and Matt Allen, uh, and trading one away, uh, a little bit detrimental in the sense that the Mets' arms are getting older in age. Uh, you have Carlos Carrasco, who's in his upper thir- in his mid-30s, Scherzer's 37, DeGrom's 33. Uh you do have some young guys in Tyler McGill, David Peterson, but those guys haven't necessarily proven themselves. I know McGill was a small sample size, and Peterson struggled after the COVID season. But So trading away a pitching prospect isn't ideal, but I think Chris Bassett is going to be really strong, especially for a team that's a win-now team. Uh, he slots in very nicely as our number three starter with Carrasco as the number, as likely the number four starter. Uh, so... And Taiwan Walker is probably number five. Uh, Walker did have that offseason knee surgery, uh, but he was throwing off the mound and stuff. I, I do wonder if he'll be ready for opening day, but the Mets do have adequate backup, at least initially, for a, a fifth starter in David Peterson or Tyler McGill, as mentioned earlier, uh, or even Trevor Williams, somebody somebody of that nature. But that's kind of the Mets offseason in a nutshell. Added two starting pitchers, you're probably two and three starters. I mean, Max Scherzer is clearly a top five pitcher in baseball, so it's the number one starter in pretty much every other team in the MLB. Uh, and I think that's just going to be really beneficial, especially in the spring training, which is a little bit why I was frustrated it was cut short. Uh, I think that Tyler McGill, David Peterson, uh, even Joey Lucchese, I know he can't throw right now, but like just being able to kind of get mentored by two greats in Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, and I think that just 
that can only help you as a pitcher. So very excited about that. So the Mets add the two starters. We add what looks to be our starting center fielder and potentially a platoons or starting corner outfielder in Mark Canna. Uh, likely our starting third baseman in Eduardo Escobar. And a lot of other moves happen. Uh, and I expressed a little bit of frustration because I think post-lockout, a lot of moves happened where teams caught up to the Mets. And I know the Mets put in a ton of ton of moves pre, pre-lockout. And I'm not saying by any means, please listen to this message. The Mets had a tremendous offseason. And if you would have asked me February 25th, where do I think the Mets are? I think they blow out the rest of the National League East. But the rest of the National League East made a lot of post-lockout moves, and the Mets really didn't add anybody quite impactful. Chris Bassett, probably it. I don't think everybody, anybody else is going to play massive roles on the team. Uh, and the Mets lack a lefty in the bullpen. But let's go around the, the rest of the National League East and talk about the moves. Obviously, the Braves make a huge decision not to re-sign Freddie Freeman, which I just can't help but think that was a huge mistake. He's the face of your franchise and has been for the better part of 12 years now. And just to let him walk, especially after winning a World Series with him, I think is a really tough move. It would be almost like if the Mets won a World Series and let Jacob deGrom walk. I think that's that's a decent parallel. Uh, but if Jacob deGrom pitched another five or six seasons for the Mets before, uh, before his current stint... Uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> Breaking news live. I just got an update from a Bleacher Report that says New York vaccine mandate change. Kyrie Irving and unvaccinated Yankees and Mets players expected to be eligible for home games starting this upcoming Thursday, which is tomorrow. So it looks like the vaccine mandate won't actually be a thing anymore, uh, which would be absolutely huge for the Mets. We'll get to that. Like I said, we'll get to that in a little bit. Let me finish the rest of the National League East wrap up. But that's huge news breaking in the middle of the podcast. Uh, So that's obviously incredibly beneficial to the Mets. But so Braves don't re-sign Freddie Freeman. They trade a bunch of prospects to the uh, Oakland Athletics for Matt Olsen and then promptly sign him to an eight-year 168 contract extension. Olsen is good. Olsen is younger than Freddie Freeman. He's not nearly as accomplished as Freeman. Uh, He's solid nonetheless. He's a very good first baseman, very good lefty hitter. But I don't know. I think it's crazy the fact that you don't re-sign Freddie Freeman. And Freeman signs for less than $168 million. I mean, granted, it is over a shorter period of time. I think it's six years instead of the eight, and he's older. But you give, you don't sign Freeman. You pay his replacement more, and you have to give up some of your top prospects for him. I think it's a crazy move, but Alex Anthopoulos has made good moves for the Braves in the past, so I guess it's it's kind of rash to doubt him. Anyway, that's a big move that the Braves make. Then they sign Kenley Jensen. They really sure up their bullpen. Uh, signing Kenley Jensen, they have A.J. Minter, Tyler Swayzak. They have, they have a lot of good – their bullpen is very strong. Uh, but, yeah, I think my worry is when Matt Olson comes up in the 7th, 8th, ninth inning, we don't really have a, a lefty to face him. I think you could you can argue Chase and Shreve, but, like, the fact remains, I think there's better lefties that the Mets kind of missed on, like Andrew Chafin, uh We'll get to Josh Hader later as well. Going to the Phillies. The Phillies had a really quiet early season, uh, pre-lockout. I don't know if they actually made any moves. And then post-lockout, they were linked to a bunch of guys. They were linked to Trevor Story. They were linked to Carlos Correa. They were linked to Chris Bryant. They don't sign any of them. They signed Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos. And those are good moves if you had defensive pieces around them to supplement them. And the Phillies actually have quite the opposite. 
they have they came in with one of the worst defenses. Didi Gregorius is horrendous has horrendous range at this point of his career. Alex Bohm was pretty brutal at third base last year. Uh, it's just like not a great defense. I think JT Romuto is probably their only JT Romuto, Bryce Harper are solid, but I think other than that, their defense was pretty poor. You had Kyle Schwarber and Nick Cassianos who offer you next to nothing on defense. Uh, granted, one of them will be the DH because of the new National League DH rule and the fact that both of them can hit the ball very well. But other than that, it is a uh, they're interesting signings, to say the least. They're not terrible signings. They're interesting signings, and they'll definitely be successful in Citizens Bank Ballpark. The Phillies also steal Yuri's Familia from us, which is another interesting fit. Uh, I love Yuri's Familia. I know he struggled in 2019 and 2020. Really turned on last year, pitched really well for us. But I think he is definitely susceptible to the home run ball. And Citizens Bank Ballpark has that short fence that I feel like every time the Mets and Phillies play at Citizens Bank Ballpark, it just becomes a slugfest. It's a 12-10 game. Uh, and it's just like every team, both teams have four home runs. And I don't think... And I think Familia could struggle there. Uh, hope him, wish him the best in every game he pitches that isn't against the Mets. But it is a it is a weird fit. The Nationals aren't really expected to be that competitive this year. They do sign Nelson Cruz, which I believe just to be a kind of deadline flip piece. Uh, he has a solid first half of the year, kind of being a stopgap for whoever they have in the minor leagues that they expect to bring up at some point. Maybe he'll mentor some of the uh, young players as well. You have. Uh, Kybert Ruiz now, who they just got in that Turner and Scherzer deal. You have some young players that could probably benefit. Victor Robles, Juan Soto, will probably benefit under the tutelage of Nelson Cruz, but he's expected to be DH and just kind of probably get flipped at the deadline for more prospects. Uh, the Marlins were linked to Nick Castellanos. They had some big moves up their sleeves, uh, but they all seemed to fall apart when Derek Jeter resigned as the team's uh, CEO and president in a semi-shocking move in February. And it kind of appeared that through his press conference post-resignation, it was kind of due to the fact that the Marlins weren't really expecting to be competitive, weren't making the competitive moves that needed to happen in order for them to kind of be in the run in the NL East. They have a really good pitching staff, a young pitching staff, and maybe there was just some disagreement between him, the owners, and maybe the GM about if this is the right time or two to three years from now, and they still pretty much have their young core, and maybe that's the time where they want to spend money. Regardless, Cheater is gone from the Marlins, and uh, that also made Nick Castellanos not a Marlin either as they stopped pursuing him. Uh, They do do sign Jorge Soler, uh, a big piece that the Braves had signed, uh, or Braves traded for at the deadline last year, and... It is a three-year, $36 million deal. I think Solaire really played well with Atlanta. They got him for cheap because he wasn't wasn't playing well with the uh, Kansas City Royals before that. So I think he's a little bit of a streaky hitter. He is a power guy, though, so I think he does fit pretty well in the middle of that lineup. Uh, other than that, some other big moves, obviously, is the Freddie Freeman move to the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is probably the last place I wanted to see him go because if we want to make it to the World Series, we're going to inevitably have to go through the Dodgers. Matt Chapman goes to the uh, Blue Jays via trade. Uh, C- Carlos Correa signs with the Minnesota Twins on a really bizarre deal. Uh, after the Twins trade away, uh, after the trade Twins trade for Isaiah Kiner Falefa, and then trade him and Josh Donaldson to the Yankees for Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez. The Yankees essentially took the money that 
the Twins were paying Josh Donaldson, and the Twins used that money to sign Carlos Correa. So maybe not the best use of funds for the Yankees, but who knows? Maybe they, their scouting department knows something about Isaiah Kiner-Falefa that others don't. I know they have Anthony Volpe out of New Jersey coming up uh, in their farm system. He's a top-10 prospect in MLB right now. Uh, so maybe they foresee a spot for him at shortstop in the foreseeable future. They have Glaber at second, so maybe they didn't want to spend money on a Carlos Correa or Trevor Story type uh, with Volpe maybe a year or two away. Uh, a lot of pressure on his shoulders now, though. Jeez, imagine being the, guy, being the reason why the Yankees don't sh- sign a sh- shortstop and not producing initially when you come up. Regardless, though, Trevor Story goes to the Red Sox. Uh, the future Met, Chris Bryant, will never be a Met as he signs a seven-year deal with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Kershaw stays with the Dodgers. Verlander stays with the Astros. There's some The Verlander move is pre-lockout. Uh, some interesting moves, though, nonetheless. Michael Conforto is still a free agent. I know a lot of Mets fans would like a reunion. I think I would like a reunion, too, on a short deal. Uh, it would like a wonder. I, I would be willing to do a two-year $42 million with an opt-out after one. And I know a lot of people are going to jump down my throat, especially because he had such a poor 2021. But if you really look at this Mets team and how it's constructed right now, it's Mark Hanna, who... I don't necessarily know if he's a starter on a World Series team. I think he's maybe a platoon guy. He's definitely an upgrade over Kevin Pillar, don't get me wrong. But I don't know if 162 games he'll be able to kind of retain the production he's been able to do. Uh, so I think Conforto could slot in there. The, the Mets lineup has quickly become pretty righty-heavy as well. Uh, when you add in James Mc, or when you think about it, you add in Sterling Marte, Mark Hanna, two righty bats, replacing two lefty bats in Dom Smith and Michael Conforto. So it becomes righty in that sense. Uh, you do add Escobar, who's a switch hitter, which is obviously nice. Uh, but, yeah, you pretty much have, I guess you have four lefty bats, two of them being switch hitters, and Lindor and Escobar, McNeil, and then Brandon Nemo are lefties. But it is kind of a righty-heavy uh, lineup, so maybe just adding a lefty off the bench, especially if the Mets have the money to do it. Not necessarily saying they have the money to do it, but Steve Cohen's willing to go over the luxury tax, so at that point you might as well. I don't think he'll sign with anybody in the National League East, so I don't think that's necessarily a worry, uh, because I think he would just fucking kill the Mets if he signed with the Phillies. Like he'd be like Daniel Murphy reincarnated, where he hits like three forty and a home run every fifth plate appearance against the Mets. But I think that would be an interesting thing. The Mets do sign Travis Jankowski. Uh, which is kind of projected to be their fourth outfielder right now. I guess maybe Dom Smith could be the fourth outfielder, but he's a defensive liability. So there's definitely some moves to be made. Uh, we have gotten some DMs about questions about the Mets offseason. One of them was, let's see, let me read one of these DMs. Uh, it is regarding the Mets' lefty bullpen and whether or not they think it will be. It's Ryan. Ryan asks, uh, do I think that the Mets will add a lefty, and why didn't they add Andrew Schaffin? Uh I don't know why they didn't add Schaffin, to be honest with you. He signed a very reasonable two years, $13 million deal with the t- Tigers. I think that's a very reasonable deal considering the Mets gave Aaron Loop a similar deal, a one-year deal last year around this time as well, where it was like kind of the end of the free agency period, and then Mets recognized they needed a lefty. They, they signed Aaron Loop, who goes on to have... Uh, historic MLB season, throwing for an ERA under one. 
So why didn't they sign him? I'm not sure. This was also before the Chase and Shreve signing as well. Uh, maybe he just wanted a spot in the bullpen that the Mets couldn't offer him. Maybe he wanted a closer role, or maybe he wanted a kind of setup man role, and the Mets have Seth Lugo and Edwin Diaz, and one of them is going to be closer, one of them is going to be the setup man. They also have Trevor May uh, and Adam Adovino. So maybe it was just a role that he didn't want to be necessarily a lefty specialist. Uh, that's all I can really think of. And then the second part of his question is, do you think the Mets trade for Josh Hader? And this is interesting because the Milwaukee Brewers have spent the fourth least amount of money in free agency this year. They've spent $9 million. And if you really think about it, the Brewers are in a really weird spot. Christian Yelich is coming off a horrendous 2021, but they had two pitchers who were vying for the Cy Young in uh Burns and Woodruff. So their pitching could potentially be there. I think the back of the rotation falls off pretty quickly, though, after Burns and Woodruff. They have Christian Yelich. Uh, they have they trade for Hunter Renfro in the offseason, giving up Jackie Bradley Jr. So they have some decent pieces. Willie Domus, they have it short. The NL Central is weird in the sense that the Pittsburgh Pirates aren't even close to being competitive. The Chicago Cubs gave away all their competitive pieces and then re-signed some semi-competitive pieces in the offseason with Seiya Suzuki, they they uh, grabbed Marcus Stroman, uh, Clint Frazier. So I don't think that they'll be that competitive, but I could see them being around a 500 team. The Cardinals are probably the favorite in that division. So, but the Brewers aren't bad either. So I don't necessarily know if the Brewers are in a sell-off point where they're willing to get rid of Josh Hader. He's young. He's 27. I know they have Devin Williams kind of in the wings, who's also a very solid reliever. But this is baseball. You can never have enough relief pitching. And Hader would not come cheap either. So I guess it could be a potential deadline deal if the Brewers aren't competitive this year or they're having a year that they weren't expecting to have. Maybe then they trade Josh Hader. Uh, I know his name's been floated around the market for almost a year and a half now. But I imagine he'd be more costly now than he would be in July. But I think the Brewers are unsure about their competitiveness and whether or not they can main, they can even make the playoffs. So I think maybe they'll give it three or four months before dealing Josh Hader. Uh, so I don't think he'll be a Met anytime soon. I think the Mets might have to go out and make a move if... It's May, and they're getting killed by all these lefties that have been added to the National League East now. Uh, didn't even mention the fact that the Braves re-signed Eddie Rosario. Matt Olson's obviously new. Schwarber moves in from the Nationals to the Phillies. So there's definitely Bryce Harper. So there's definitely good lefties that I hope Jason Shreve can kind of can kind of handle. If not, I feel like the Mets kind of gave up at the five-yard line. We needed one or two more pieces, and... Lefties was one of them, and the lefty market evaporated quickly with the Mets kind of sitting there with nothing really to uh, to be had. Anyway, let's talk about this vaccine mandate. So I was going to go off from Eric Adams and the fact that the he's really killing New York sports. I think, I mean, the Knicks aren't having a great year, but the Knicks are fully vaccinated. But the Brooklyn Nets obviously missing Kyrie Irving, one of their big impact players, uh, one of the big three that they have now. Uh wasn't hasn't been able to play in a single home game yet this year, and I think that's been impactful for the Brooklyn Nets, especially with Kevin Durant hurt. But then you look at the Mets and Yankees team, and I think in basketball it's a little bit different because you have like a 12 to 14 man team, and if one or two players are unvaccinated, yes, that's impactful. But there's more of a ch- it's easier to get a 14 man team vaccinated than it is to get a 26, 28 man team vaccinated. And there was a bunch of Mets who were. Uh, on the threshold of maybe vaccination, maybe not. I don't want to speculate here, but there was some key pieces who I think 
could have missed home games had had this mandate stayed in fact. But the fact that, and that would have made Mets home games a disadvantage. It would have been more beneficial for the Mets to play on the road because they would have been able to play full staffed. Regardless, though, it looks like this vaccine mandate will get lifted, uh, and the Mets and Yankees will both be able to play with their full roster at home, which I think is huge. Looking forward now, let's look into the season a little bit. Uh, I am very excited for kind of what's to come for the Mets. I think they are really strong, especially their pitching. Their starting pitching has the potential to be one of the best, probably the best rotation in the MLB, where you have two top five pitchers, Chris Bassett, I would probably consider a top 20 pitcher as well. Uh, And then Walker was an all-star last year, and I think Carlos Carrasco is actually in for a big year as well. Uh, I think last year he was rushed in after his hamstring injury. He didn't really get a spring training because he got hurt in spring training. Uh, and I don't think he was really himself. He got shelled a lot. He, he struggled early in games uh, and often didn't see the later parts of games because of that. Uh, but I think he's kind of – I think he's ripe for a bounce back. Uh, I think there's way less expectations surrounding him. Uh, he's going to be pitching towards the back of the rotation as well, so he might get some easier opponents. He might get more run support because he'll be pitching against other teams, four or five starters. Uh, so I'm hoping that he is able to kind of make a little bit of a bounce back. Uh, Ty Walker is going to be interesting to see whether or not that innings wall hits him again. He was great in the first half before the All-Star break and then really struggled in the second half. Uh but before that, he had thrown like 60 innings in the previous two or three years. So it's it'll be interesting to see whether or not he hits an innings wall again. But if the Mets make the postseason, I think that they have three starting pitchers who can carry them through this postseason into Ground Scherzer and Bassett. And emphasis on carry, you you're not going to be able to take the ball out of the hands of Scherzer and Degrom. At least, I'm not familiar with Chris Bassett in the sense of his like attitude and tenacity surrounding pitching and especially high leverage pitching. I don't think the Athletics have really made too much of noise in the postseason. I know they made it two years ago uh, in that eight-round, or the 18 postseason in 2020 in the COVID year, but I'm not necessarily sure how well he pitched. But I know that with DeGrom and Scherzer, it'll be kind of rival that 2015 Dodgers team when they had Kershaw and Granke pitch four of the five games in that NLCS, NLDS series. Uh, I think the Mets... <laughs> If you could have Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer pitch four out of five games in a playoff series, I think you're setting yourself up for success. Uh, the Mets did retool their lineup. Uh, I think they have more of an emphasis on on-base percentage and speed than they did last year. You lose the power bet of uh, Michael Conforto, but then you add uh, 350, 340 on-base percentage guy, Mark Canna, who could still hit 20 home runs. You had Sterling Marte, who can hit 15, 20 home runs and steal 30, 35 bases. Uh, Gold Glove center fielder as well. So... The, I think the lineup is probably better than last year. The rotation certainly is better than last year. And the bullpen, I think, is kind of the same. You lose Aaron Loop, which is a big loss, but you kind of have enough pieces, I think, in order to kind of mitigate that loss. Ottavino is a nice addition. You lose yours familiar as well. So it'll be interesting. But I think that this Mets team is really strong. Uh, I think Francisco Lindor is due for a bounce back year as well. So it's going to be interesting. If anybody is coming down for the Washington National Series, uh, Ty and I are kind of debating. I'm trying. To, I'm checking my work schedule of whether or not we're going to opening day, but I'm a hundred hundred percent going to the April 9th game on Saturday. It's a seven o'clock start, I believe. Hundred uh, percent. I already bought my tickets for that game. I think I might be going to the Sunday game as well at one o'clock uh, on April 10th. So I want to see as many 
Mets games as I can. I live down in the D.C. area, so if you're coming and traveling, we'll grab a beer at the stadium. Definitely DM us. Come say hi. Uh, it'd be a ton of fun. We could, I think there's maybe even something being set up uh, from a bunch of Mets fans pregame. So let me know. Uh, send me a DM, and we can kind of organize a meetup at the park or whatever. But I'm really excited for this Mets team. I think that there's a lot to be excited for. Steve Cohen has shown that he will – spend as much money as it takes to win, and I think that's kind of what the Mets needed. Uh, somebody who's not not afraid to kind of go all the way, in for a penny, in for a pound, and I think Steve Cohen has proven that. I think Billy Epler has proven that they're willing to do whatever it takes, and I wouldn't be surprised if more Mets moves are to come. But signing off now, I think Ty and I will have a discussion about what we're going to do in the beginning of the season. I think it'll probably be a once a week podcast, uh, but I will let you know. I will be very active on Twitter throughout the entirety of the season. Uh, just super excited for the Mets to be back in a 162 game season and what feels like set up for more success than they were last year. So everybody have a great day. Uh, probably releasing this on Thursday morning. Everybody have a great rest of your day. Uh, great work day. Tweet. At us, we love to kind of be uh, be engaged with our fans at Mets Maniacs Pod. Tweet, DMs, we'll address all your questions. Uh, we love answering too, so please don't feel free. Please feel free to uh, DM us on Twitter or tweet at us and have a conversation with us. We're huge Mets fans, so we'll, we'll just give us your or give you our speculation. So, all right, everybody, have a great rest of your day, and let's go Mets.